tuning in to the 395th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Eros, Daryl, D, Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you're listening, thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting ever platform you may be listening to me via. Also, special shout out to everybody who's tuning in via Elevation Sports Radio in Denver. Appreciate y'all for tuning in as well. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, per usual. Gonna have a great pod for you guys. Gonna have Chris... Manning on the show, host the Locked On Cavaliers podcast. I talked to him about the Cavs surprise run, NBA All-Star game in Cleveland, also the LeBron Kyrie era, uh, how those things all materialize. We talk about the Warriors series, that just that time of Cleveland basketball and how special it was. Before I get to the conversation, I have a Chris. Uh, shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, I have everything timestamped. Uh, click on that timestamp that will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitro underscore Lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl and you will find that I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, then give me five stars and a great review for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Chris Manning on the show, host the Locked On Cavs podcast. Cut up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Hey, Michael Spillin here for the Flash Hauler Driving App, a convenient app for on-demand furniture moving, vehicle towing, and courier service. If you like being out on the road, not having people breathing down your neck, pressuring you to get stuff done by deadlines and time limits, join our fleet on the Flash Hauler Driving App. Earn money by driving your pickup or van, be your own boss, making your own schedule, not to mention the feeling of helping truckless people getting their furniture moved to wherever they need. If vehicle towing is more in your arena, we provide that service as well. And if you don't have a truck or a van, no worries the app enables you to do courier gigs it's an easy process to sign up and get approved to be part of the flash hauler hero team be proud of what you do while you do it at your convenience so what are you waiting for grab your phone download and install the flash hauler that's f-l-a-s-h-o-l-r driver app or visit our website h-o-l-r-apps.com getting it hauled in a flash this segment on elevation 5280 sports is brought to you by the flash hauler driver app helping people move in a flash With Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Chris Manning, host of the Locked on Cavs podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. So first, I have to ask you this. How cool is it that NBA All-Star Weekend is going to be in Cleveland? It's really cool. Um, you know, I like you know, the, when the finals were here, and I, I only got to cover 2018 when I went out of college by then, and that was... A ton of fun and, and crazy, and I'm sure this will be fun and crazy, and 
get to see some, you know, I mean, so I wish I get to see some people I don't always get to see, and it, it should be really cool. I mean, it obviously means a lot more for the city, I think, that, you know, Jared Allen and Darius Garland will be representing the team, like, that in itself is really cool, and, and um, as, a, as a Cleveland person, as a person who, like, loves the city and everything, it's, it'll be cool to, to for people to come, even though it's, you know, February, I'm sure there'll be some some uh, complaining about the weather and things, but Cleveland's a cool place. It's cool that that all starts here, and again, cool that you know it's going to be the 75th anniversary team. They just announced some of the plans to honor those the, the top 75 all-time players in league history at, at the All-Star Game. And um, frankly, like I kind of forgot that that was like this season and everything. But that, that's going to be cool. It's going to it should be a cool weekend. Do you have a favorite part of All-Star Weekend? Whether it's the dunk contest, the three-point shooting contest, the skills challenge, just the the game in general. So I would say All Star Saturday Night, just because when I was in college, I went to uh, my university, and my wife, my now wife, went to Miami. So we would in Oxford, like four hours across the state. So like a pretty, and I was always on Valentine's Day weekend. So I would like drive that weekend every year. And the cabs weren't good, so like I and like. When I was in college before, so it wasn't like I had like stuff necessarily to do that weekend, like guys participating or whatever. But I would like go visit her, and we would just watch all sorts of Saturday night, and you know, hang out, and you know, it would just kind of relax. Like I have like a fond attachment to all sorts of Saturday night, just because of just because of that. It has nothing really to do with like what goes on or um, anything like that. I just like have memories of that. But I think that like that's still probably the most. It's just kind of fun. It's just something you don't get to see a lot. It's kind of relaxed. It's like the All Star Game itself is just kind of it for me. So I, for me, it's All Star Saturday night. So you mentioned Allen and uh, Darius Garland. They get the All Star nod. How shocked were you that Mobley didn't get any, you know, much more All Star consideration? Because I feel like there was kind of a heavy push for him. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, right? Like I think he is someone who I, I think I think number one will make a lot of All Star. I think the I think like. In terms of, like, what his impact has been versus, like, what Jared Allen's impact has been, and, and what, like, you compare those two as or front court guys, I think Allen's just more ahead on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. I think Allen is just ahead uh, on the offensive side of things, and that has, um, I think, pushed him a little bit ahead of Mobley. I think we've seen Mobley be, I think, an all-defensive level player. I think we've seen him be someone who has been really, really impactful as a rookie in a way that's not always the case with a rookie, right? But I think in comparing him to, let's say, Allen, I, I think it's just, like, a little different in terms of what they provide. I think he just the offensive stuff is there. I think he's on, like, the, if you're going to make, like, a big list of potential all-star candidates, he would be on that list. And I, I think he's still, you know, a, a little bit away from kind of the full-on consideration you're looking for there. I, I think he definitely just probably deserves some chatter, but... You know, I think it's it's a little early. I think it just his offensive impact just probably isn't, isn't there. But certainly defensively, I mean, he's already an all-star caliber player. What do you think Jared Allen does that makes him better on offense so far at this point in both of their careers, respectively? Uh, Allen is, I think, more efficient. He is just kind of a he's just I, I think a, a better partner for Darius Garland in the pick and roll. He's you know he doesn't maybe he doesn't have maybe as much potential to have like a really well-rounded modern. Um, offensive hub kind of role in a way that Mobley could get. We've seen like glimpses of this year, but he's really efficient. Um, he's just an incredible finisher at the rim in particular, and has added some passing this year in a way he hasn't had before. He has that little 16 foot jumper from the free throw line that he can hit. He's got little jump hooks and stuff. Like there, there's just stuff he's done 
to add to his offensive game that was already really efficient just from his dunking and just ability to catch and finish lots at the rim that has made him, I think, just more advanced. Like, he just is, and I think he's just a little more stronger. He's a little more seasoned. He's just it kind of, like, he's like, he just kind of goes up and gets, like, lob threats in a way that, that Mobley doesn't necessarily always do. Like, Allen will try to dunk everything, and Mobley doesn't have or doesn't go after balls in that same way with that same aggression. I think he's just more complete and more efficient right now. How shocked have you been by how well Mobley's played as a rookie? I, I think it's really surprising. I think Mobley, you know, I, I came into the year thinking, okay, this is a guy that, you know, I think should be good defensively right away. We'll see what the offense looks like, and that has more true, but he's been better on defense than I think anyone, except maybe him, or maybe the Cavs, if you got them, uh, if, if they would tell you that maybe they thought he was going to be good on defense right away. Um, he's been an all defensive player, and if you look at, like, impact statistics, if you look at, like, any advanced numbers, he's impacting basketball in a way that is really, really crazy for a rookie. Most rookies come in, and they will show some really good things, and they will do some really good things and have really good games and have really good stretches, and, and some of them can be good, but they're not usually, like, helping you win games right away. It's just really hard to commit at 18, 19 years old and be kind of raw, kind of be, you know, not seasoned, all that stuff, and making it back in the ring, and nobody's coming and done that. I mean, particularly the offensive end, like, the scheme works, you know, because of him and Allen, because of what those two guys do as a duo, like, Mobley is this the switch army knife. He is doing everything. He is setting the, the, the tone and, and playing two different positions on defense and, and just doing a ton of different stuff that is really advanced. And you just see them throwing more and more at him. And he's handled it. The, the more he's had thrown at him, he's just gotten um, a ton thrown at him in a way that is really, really interesting. So he, he's just, I think, been a guy that has come in and been really impactful. And it's just. At, at a level that is like season NBA player, not just, you know, really talented rookie who's a top three pick. This is a guy that if he continues on this trajectory and continues to grow year in and year out, is like on track to be like one of the very best players in the NBA. Was there a moment for you, particularly when you watch Mobile play, when you're like, <clears throat> okay, this is a tad different. I didn't realize he was this good, whether it was at college or maybe it was his first few games to the Cavs. Well, was there a moment when you're like, okay, this is different. I, I knew he was, you know, talented, right? But I wasn't expecting quite this. You know, it, without going through, like, notes and things, it's hard to say one. I, like, I was at Summer League, and he, I got to, like, to be honest, like, he wasn't, he doesn't pop in Summer League. And like, that makes sense. Summer League is built for guys who can score and guys who can put up shots and guys who can do a lot of fun stuff with the ball in their hands. And the Cavs like didn't really bring anyone to even like feed him the ball in summer league. Like, it was kind of a kind of a slog in that regard. Um, the game if I was gonna single out a game in recent memory though, the Pacers game from last week, because Evan Mobley in the second half of that game, Cavs were really bad on defense in the first first quarter in particular. Were okay in the second quarter. And the third and fourth quarter their defense was just obscene. It was just shutting down the, the Pacers offense to a degree that is really hard to do. Even if it's like not a good offense and you know, that was a team that new pieces on the floor and stuff like that, like they kind of dominated that game. And I look at that and say, Okay, Evan Mobley can be this like Joey defender. He in that game like he did not have a good offensive game in that game. He did not score well, you know, didn't see any stiss or really anything, but he was even like didn't always have 
Fox and Seals is like in terms of counting stats on the defensive end, but he was like the defensive defender. He was the linchpin of the defense in that game, and that's one of those moments where it's like you want to make his case for all defense, which I think you can make. Um, I don't want to like declare that it's like he's like a lock or anything. I think he's been really good and deserves to be talked about in that way already. But like that's the game you want to cut the tape and like show up with someone and say, hey, "This guy's this guy's a freak. This guy's going to be a like." I, if I had to bet, I would bet he wins like multiple defensive players. Anymore. It's because he can have games like that where he locks up down and is just a really dominant at the end of the floor. So who would you compare him to? I So I'll, I'll introduce him to it. Number one, I will note that I think comps are really tricky because I think everyone is different. I think the context of the game is different. I think personalities are really different. Um, the only one that I will make and it's like, I, I will also caveat it by saying it is blasphemous because this is one of the best players that has ever existed. But like, the, the Tim Duncan parallels to me are really interesting just because Duncan was also the guy who came in and impacted winning right away. You know, and he also was playing next to a, a more, you know, got a, and David Robinson that was more established maybe than Allen is at this point, but certainly someone who was, they, they formed a partnership and hit the ground running. Um, I, I think that's like the one just because I think you know both kind of quiet both kind of defensive oriented guys that can play the four play the five um, we'll see what Mobley's offense looks like he has to add more to kind of get even close to what Duncan was and like his, his obviously his resume is nowhere close to what Duncan is and again I, I think comps are well I could think they put a lot of weight they can add weight to things that they don't that don't need it like Mobley stands at his own two feet I think that if you're looking at like historical like precedent for what he's doing, like my novice NBA historian brain says Tim Duncan because Tim Duncan also came in and packed winning in a certain way, and then grew up and like Mobley could be that kind of guy. And again, I I just will stress that it is very rare. You know, look at Garland, look at Sexton, even look at Okoro. Like the categories of rookies have not come in and impacted winning, whether it was in terms of what wins or in terms of like the, the magic. Play. Mobley has done that, but I can, in that sense, he is he's kind of his own like unique. Character in that regard. Yeah. And when you mentioned it too, like, of course, Duncan was even their first year, probably a little bit better than Mobley was. I mean, Duncan's probably four years older than Mobley was when they both came in the league. Duncan was a, came in as a college senior. Yeah, and like, it, it came, again, came into a different situation. Like, I, I, you, I would like to know what you think about this. I didn't think the Cavs were going to be good this year. I didn't think that. I, I, I'm on that Cavs. We did a, an over under betting show, and the Cavs over under from Vegas was 26 and a half. I picked the under. I said they're going to win with fewer than 26 and a half games. I thought they're going to be bad this year. I thought, I, I, I think, I like as much as I love the Mobley pick, I think they made a ton of sense. I did not think that that was going to be the like a thing that catalyzed the catalyst for them. Um, I was like fairly optimistic about a lot of guys, and like I didn't think they were going to be this good right away. And it came out, <laughs> and then they were, and be like Mobley be this good right away. And he came in, um, you know, from playing USC like two bigs and. You saw flashes up, and summer league was underwhelming, and you've been just incredible. And it's it's hit the ground running in a, in a crazy way. And I'm sure no one would have ever foreseen that he would be having a borderline all defensive kind of season. No, I, I don't think so. I think even I think if you talk to the Cavs um, and ask them what they thought about stuff, and ask um, what they they thought about their season's trajectory and things like that, I don't think they would have looked at it and said. Yeah, like we're going to be, you know, a team that, that we think we can win first-round playoff series. We think we're going to make a trade to give up our first-round pick in the high-tech round to make a win-now trade, right? Like, I don't necessarily believe 
that the Cavs thought they were going to be um, a team to do that. I don't, I don't think the Cavs thought they were going to be a team that was going to be that good right away. I, as my, again, I think they loved Mobile. I think, I think as much as like the, maybe the leaking of the reporting didn't indicate that and they were doing their homework and stuff, um, I, I think Mobile was like the guy. From the moment they got the number three pick, and they, I think, like the rest of the world, came to think Jalen Green is going to Houston. I kind of think the Cavs locked it on Mobley and they're like, this is the guy. This is this is that dude for us. And I don't necessarily think they thought he was going to be good this right away. They believed in him, I think, long term. Um, and in turn, I think they hope to take a step up this year. But, like, they progressed. And it's because Mobley is already this, like, all defensive guy. I would, I would be very intrigued to see sort of the numbers at the end of the year, um, you know, what other cases maybe because like again, like it's hard when you watch one team off to kind of necessarily compare all the other guys that you don't see as much. But like I watch Mobley on a night and night basis and you talk to people on the team and you hear JB Bickerstead talk about him and the other guys talk about him, like he's the real deal and, you, and again he's at the ground running in a, in a really accelerated way. Do you think was he the Cavs number one guy all along or was he their number two guy? Like if directly they had the number one pick, would they have taken him over Cade? Um, I don't know. I, I think I think that becomes I think that's impossible to know for a couple of reasons. One, I think when if you go back and read the reporting on this, um, from like the Pistons beat from like James Edwards and, and Amari Sincronia and some of the guys covering that team. It was very clear that Cade was only gonna work out for Detroit. Cade was going to work out with the Pistons. He was going to kind of dictate that he was going to go there. And then Jalen Green, to add him into this mix, is kind of like the, the as part of that top three of that class, was also someone who uh, was really only going to work out Houston. Like, the Cavs didn't get to work out with him. Because he was like, I, I, he very clearly wanted to never one pick. Very, very clearly wanted to be like a high-end guy in that way. And they were in a situation where that was going to go in a different direction. Like, if they go in the case, I think I think if you, they had number one, I think what you would have seen them do is be in a situation where you probably get all the guys into working out. You probably get all the guys into your actual workouts and, and figure out what's going on. And you go from there. It is not, I think, like, knowable without them kind of seeing this stuff. But I think certainly, like, if you look at who... Like, I, I think if you look at who, like, to... Um, who, you know, had favorite thing. Like, Gigi, the bigger staff, was in love with Ed Mobley. And I, I think you would have had... I think the only thing I'm confident in saying is that if you would have done this process and you would have given that carte blanche to, like, interview everyone, do work up with everyone, do all the stuff that teams get to do for workouts, I think they would have, like... I, my gut tells me it would have been K to Mobley is kind of like the two guys you look at. But I think it... I think it I think the only thing that's like clear is that they, it would have been a conversation. It wouldn't have been let's just assume Kate is number one a lot like it was with Prince. Like I think the Cavs loved Mobley dating back for for a while. What do you think? Because you mentioned that the defense. What do you think his offensive ceiling in the league is? I think it depends on how he grows. I think like he, right now, um, perhaps maybe because he's like a little tired, perhaps because he's in a wall in certain regards. I think he's someone who is still figuring out what his offensive role is. I think um, he, he's shown some. He's already shown some things, some really 
um, a promising passing out of double teams and and out of situations where he's is getting you know hard hard action showed to him, having guys show to him. Um, I think you're seeing him be a guy that can play with the ball in his hand. We've seen him bring the ball up a little bit, particularly when Derek Garland has been out. I think it was notable that he at times did bring up the ball. I think he could be like a maybe not like a one clear one guy because it's really hard to play modern offensive basketball through an interior guy as much. It just, it just is like unless you're in beat, unless you're Jokic, and also doing some creating. Like you're not necessarily going to be the one in the Cavs like Garland in a way that I think that really matters for for this kind of the parameters along as that partnership exists. But I think he, he can be really good on this play. I think it just depends on what he improves on. Is he going to be a three-point shooter? You know, that'll dictate how long he can play the four, I, I think, depending on whether pieces of Cleveland adds going forward. I think, you know, this is passing the road. Does his ability to create the ball in his hands? Like, there's a lot of questions about what, not, not in terms of, like, what quality will be, because I think the assumption is that he will be a good offensive player. But I think the questions are, where does he improve on and how soon does that come? Like if, he, if, he, if next year um, he comes in and he's like a closer to league average three-point shooter, like that, that's a really, really big deal. That's a massive deal for, for him as a player and what he could kind of do. The other part of it is like you, you can see this year like his shot guy at times can get a little goofy. I mean, I would encourage people to watch him. So now he catches the ball on the perimeter and he stands there. He, there's like an open three there. And I don't know if it's because he's not comfortable. I don't know if he, you know, is not just just – feels good about that shot or, or doesn't trust himself to make that shot yet. But you see him then like dribble in and, and take some shots that are not necessarily well advised. And there's some of that that I think he has to um, look at a little bit more and kind of figure out how he's going to get comfortable and how he's going to find spots to be as successful with the game. Because I think that part of his game is still lacking a little bit, but I, I think he can be like a lead offensive guy. I think you know, he'll need a partner, whether it's, you know, Bowen being that guy, I think for, for the foreseeable future, one would think it's kind of like his partner to kind of sum him up and, and maybe do some of the, the handling of the ball late in games when, you know, he's not going to bring the ball to every position and he's going to screen and do stuff like that. But I think there's no doubt he can be a really, really high-end offensive player given time to grow. You think long term he's a better fit at center or power forward? I know that's kind of hard to say right now, but it's also very interesting because I feel like the Cavs kind of stumbled into this lineup with with him and Allen on the court at the same time, with him and Jared Allen at the court at the same time, where it's like it just works. But you think long term, like the the goal is for him to be a center? I think it's possible. I think his three point shooting will dictate that, right? Because I think if he could be a league average three point shooter, and like particularly if like a four could develop his shot or they go find a, a three to kind of space the floor. Um, you know, whether it's marking in or like whether they can do to add more shooting around him plus he grows, that to me would be the optimal way to kind of do it. I also think like the chemistry between those two guys is so outrageous, particularly in defense and, and with some of the high-low passing we've seen that I don't think it's like... I would say this. I, I thought coming into the year this was like a good starter pack for Mowgli. Like this was like the good place for him to enter the league, play with someone that can physically support him, and then we'll see where it is in a year. We'll see what they look at. But it's been so good in ways that feel real to me and sustainable that I, like, think if he's playing with Allen, like, I think you can just play those guys together. Like, I don't think this is, like, Sabonis and Turner in Indiana. Like, I think this could be, like, a real thing you build with. It'll be, but I think a lot of it depends on what Mobley does. I think it's – I think, you know, if he adds size and, like, really grows into his body and doesn't become a shooter, then, like, that's a little bit different of a question. But if he becomes a shooter in some way – like that helps us. I, th- I think there's just 
I think it is unclear about what his like final end form is, just because the stuff without has been so good. And, and I think there, there's just that we need to see how he grows. Like how mobile, like I think more than any player, more than Garland, more than Allen, more than any trades they can make. I think the key to the Cleveland's future success and what that looks like is Evan Mobley. I think Mobley as a as a guy who's going to grow is going to shape so much of what comes here. And like that, that will answer these questions about, you know, whether he's a four or five, you know, whether, um, what is often the thing is like, I think that will dictate really the answer to like 95% of the Cavs questions. How shocked the Cavs are that they stumbled into this thing with Mobley and, and Allen that they stumbled into this? <laughs> because yeah, it's really good. I yeah. I, I would love, like, you'll never get honest answers about some of this stuff. Like, you know, it, I think like there, there's some, I think there was, like, some skepticism from, like, you know, Mobley's people, and, and like, I think people I talked to, like, that just, like, cover the league, much less, like, work in it about, like, what the fit was going to be, but it's been, I mean, it's been better than expected. I mean, I, I think if, like, I don't know how you felt about it, but, like, when I went back to thinking about Jeff and I looking through my notes, um, I thought, like, okay, like, I thought water in it, like, Mobley was going to go too. and they're going to get green, and, like, you could see the fit of that making a ton of sense, right? Like, that clearly you go... Okay, we got Mobley. Um, you know, maybe the guy that we can get Green to be a, a primary scorer for us, help us in a clear way, and then they get Mobley, and it's like, okay, we, we're going to get Jared Allen this contract. Like, I, I, you know, I guess the answer to where the answer the question is like, we'll never know. You know, some of this stuff you'll never get the truth. That Kobe Alma doesn't do media. Like, JB is never really going to disclose this kind of stuff, and it's 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 probably attainable like in the future more than it is now, but. Um, I think I would love to know like if there is any debate internally if there is any strife internally about okay the Cavs should if, if they should not give Jared Allen like hundred million dollars because like that was a sizable contract it's been worth every penny I think it was a good a good fair value for Allen and what he provides but if you just take a note like is that was that a good use of your resource I think the answer now is yes I think it's fair to have some skepticism at the time and I'm sure um, yeah, maybe from an asset standpoint, I think they certainly felt like it was a, a smart decision. I wonder what, I wonder if everyone thought the basketball fit was going to be as good as it was. That, that's, I guess, the way to answer that. So you mentioned this. You bet the under on the cash to begin the year. Well, I, I, I didn't, I didn't bet the under, but that was like my, my not yet money price. Yes, yes, yes. If you knew back then, right now, and somebody told you the cash, you know, top five seed, top top five seed right now in the East, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. At one point, they were like third. Uh, had a chance for home court. If I told you the Cavs had a, hand, a chance for home court in the beginning of the year, what would you have said? I would have asked, like, did LeBron come back? <laughs> like, and Kyrie. Like, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, like, did they bring back, like, the, did Kevin Love, like, resurrect himself as, like, you know, 2017's Eric Kevin Love again? Um, <laughs> there's a lot of things I wondered would have happened. I mean, and I would have asked about Garland. I would have asked, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have assumed that like, how flexible Rubio would carry ACL and they would trade it for Karis Lindbergh, his contract for Karis Lindbergh. Like, <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff that I would have had no idea how it happened. Um, I certainly just, you know, I was wrong. I can clearly wrong about this. It's just one of those things that there's always a, something that catches you by surprise, whether it's like a big thing like rather than the smaller. And, um, I, I don't. I honestly probably if someone had told me that I probably would have not believed them. I think it's 
this is like the, the truth there. Like I probably would have been like, there's, there's just no way. There's no way this is this is like an actual thing. Yeah, that or the Bulls having the best record in the East. That, that would shock some people too, I think. Uh, so yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean the East and the East, I think is like one through ten, all good teams. And like I don't know if I would have thought, um, you know, like the Cavs would be this. I don't think I thought the Bulls would be this good. I don't know if I thought Charlotte would still kind of be this way. Like, there's a lot of stuff that has happened that I think makes the East really good, and the Cavs obviously being maybe the most surprising part of it, but. What do you think the Cavs' ceiling is? For, can I ask uh, in this year or the future? Uh, well, let's start with this year, and then we can go to the future. Okay. But this year, I think they can win a series. I don't think they are a title contender. I don't think the offense as it exists right now, in terms of their ability to score in a half court, in terms of their ability to. Um, adjust and, and and just kind of get one-on-one pockets when they need to. It helps with that, but I think the, the problem is that this team's offense is just kind of average, and like I think your offense has to be better than that and, and spaced out in, in a way that it is not right now. I think they could win a series, depending on who they get. Um, if they can, if, especially if they can get home court, if they could you know, make it to like a run at the two seed and like get a one of the weaker teams coming out of the plane in the first round, like that is I think a way to uh, make a run at it. But I think like if, you know, if it, like Philly, assuming that works out, or Milwaukee or someone in round one would be really really hard for them. I, I think they're like a step below actual contender status um, as I look at it right now. I think going forward, you know, it's more open ended. It just again goes back to Mobley. It goes back to Garland. It goes back to how they built out this roster. There's a lot of decisions to be made in terms of the context of it all, in terms of the, you know, I think Garland's getting a max. I think, you know, you're playing for the Mobley max. Like, you know, what does Okoro's future look like? Like, you have a lot of roster questions, but I think because you have Garland, well, because you have Mobley first, and then you have Garland, and then you have Allen, in that order, I would rank them in terms of their, their importance of this project. I think... Those three guys are like a starting point. Gives you a lot of upward mobility. Like I, I think assuming health, I think assuming smart roster decisions, all that stuff. You know, I mean, like who, who could, there's a lot of stuff we just never predict. Like who would have thought like there would be like a bubble season and, and all this other wacky stuff that was happening. But like, I, I think the, the upward trajectory is really open and just because you have this talent that is not that growing. And, and again, in mobile, you have a guy. That is on the way to being one of the best players in the league. And Garland's not too shy of himself, and Alex really good. And like, there's a lot of, um, I think, optimism that if you want to say this team is one of the future contenders, it's like them and Memphis, and like you know, I think Denver just because of Jokic's age and stuff. Like, there's a couple teams that I think you should feel pretty good about in terms of their upward trajectory. The Cavs are, I think, squarely in that group. Now, obviously, Mobley's not anywhere close to reaching his potential, but how close do you think Garland and Allen both are, respectively, to, you know, realizing their full potential? Would you say they're at yeah. 50% there, 25%? Like, like, how close are they? I think Allen's um, more towards the... I think Allen is more towards, like, the upper end. I think he's more of a finished product. I also would have thought that this year, like, he wouldn't have added his passing. Um, he wouldn't have added 
some of the creation and some of the, the other stuff we've seen. Like his post game in general is like a revelation. Um, that is really interesting. Um, I think Garland. I don't think Garland's quite in it. I think there's more to be done in the score. I think you know more ball handlers will help. I think. Um, um, I think his shot making still is like growing in real time, and you're seeing him get more comfortable. I think like his ceiling is not quite like, I think there's more polish on his game over the next three, four years that that'll get in there. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's like fifty. I don't know if it's like sixty. I think guys like even as they get older will grow and change and add other games in, in very nuanced ways, and then just some the, the the easiest paths the growth markers to see really at this point when it's early in their career and they're still kind of adjusting to the league and stuff. Um, I would say it, it's probably something closer to 50 for Garland, and Allen's a little higher than that, but I think they're still unprecedented. I mean, I, I think, again, guys will keep adding stuff, but maybe not as drastic of leaps like some of the big leaps statistically happened earlier on, but I think there's a ton of room for those guys, guys still to grow. Where does Colin Sexton fit in all this? That is the uh, that is the hundred million dollar question or so. I mean, um, you know, he. I, I think he, if, if anyone, in terms of injury timing, in terms of you know some of the the trickiness of, of what's going on with this year and how the team's accelerated, like I I tend to think that he is the the guy that is negatively impacted by this going right now, right? Because like this is someone who was adjusting to a new role, was figuring stuff out, was uh, going to need to kind of adapt himself and while also betting on himself in terms of finding that contract. And it has changed, right? Like it has, um, it is it is tricky to imagine that like they would have thought they're going to be this good without him this year. And I don't think that's necessarily like fair to like put his value in some of that, but it's going to be an argument the teammates in the roof contract. And, like, it's there to believe with agencies. I mean, he went from being a, uh, from being a CAA client to a clutch client, which is also the with Garland agency, and, you know, thanks to the Bond agency, and J.R. Smith, and Joe Clarkson, and Tristan Thompson. Like, the Cavs have, like, a, a relationship with clutch, and getting deals done with clutch. And, they're also going to push for him to get his max value. I don't know what that is. I mean, I think I think there's a clear role for him that I think they'd be better with him this year, full stop, from a spacing perspective, from a scoring perspective. Like, I'm a Colin Sexton believer, um, but I think like Garland's getting the max. Like, I'm, and I think Garland's better. I, I think Mobley, you know, does he? How does he get that with Mobley? Can you turn him into a couple other things via sign and trade or something? Like, I think you will see a lot of different avenues explored. I think it's more likely that he's back next year than not on some kind of extension. But I, I want—I I think it's like an open-ended question. We, we don't know right now. I mean, I think there's a lot of questions about him that I think are impossible to to know about um, until we get there. You know, I, I think until we see like the, the summer happen, we see how the playoffs go. There's just a ton of information and data that needs to be collected before we kind of figure it out. Do you think he's better suited as a six man? Like, I do, um, but I also think you, I also think like that's that's not like a I don't and six man is maybe like an unfair way of putting it. Like I think he's a guy that could be in your closing lineups. Yeah, um, I, you know, maybe him, maybe him and Levert are kind of like redundant in that regard, and I'm, I'm I think that 
conversation going forward, assuming over, you know, um, and, and like assuming his health and all that, and if Jackson comes back from his injury, obviously, like, I, I think there are questions. Well, I assume they'd have to eventually flip one of those guys. Well, see, I don't even know if that's true, because I think you, this team is like, like, before they got Levert, and this is like, obviously, after Sexton and after Ruby, I think they looked at Ruby on Sexton and Garland and said, okay, here's our three ball handlers. Like, these are guys that are going to handle the creation duties for us. They're going to do a lot of that work for us. And then they were down to two, and the offense was, like, still kind of average, even with Rubio playing out of his mind. And then it, like, was tricky. Like, it stayed average-ish without Rubio. And it's like, you go to LaVert to kind of help with things. Like, Sexton could help with that, too. He's a really good force baser. He's a really good cutter. Like, I don't, I, I think it is less about, like, needing to flip one of those guys because they're redundant and more about the money. Because I think, like, this team is already kind of expensive. They're, they're close to luxury tax and, like, you know, which people should have the ability to hit attacks, but certainly you only do when you're, like, in that what you think is your championship window. Like, I think what happens, um, in, in my opinion here with some of this is, what you want to look at is what does the money come out as? And I think you want to figure what his role is. Like, you know, does it make sense to start? Um, you know, do you want to have, you have to, you, how do you stagger him and him and Levert? You know, how do you stagger him and Garland and Levert? Like, you know, does does one of like does does it make sense for some of them to for one of them to come off the bench in, in some way? And like, is it Levert or is it Sexton? Like, how does that impact you defensively? Like, there's all these considerations and, and stuff. I mean, again, I, this is why I think it's so tricky that Collins out this year. I don't think like him being healthy now would have necessarily precluded them from looking at someone like Levert. Maybe makes it less likely to some degree and you know we'll, we'll kind of see how that how that could work and stuff but I also just I also think I look at it and say look I I think he has a skill set that could be really valuable just will come down to money and it will come down to just sort of how they think some of this fits and um, how they decide they want to build around Mobley and Garland as like your two tentacles with Allen being the third I think are really fascinating questions that I don't think <laughs> we know the answer to it. You know, I, I think there's a, how the season goes could have a could have a big impact on, on some of the decision making in the summer. So now I want to go to this because you mentioned you started covering the Cavs in what 2018. So I kind of started covering them. Um, from, I was in college before I covered them from far, but in, I graduated college in 2016, and that's what. I don't know. Time, time doesn't feel real to me. Like, this, this feels like 10 years ago. Um, I've been covering them, like, in some way since, like, 2012 as, like, a blogger and stuff. But, like, in person a lot since I graduated college in the spring of 2016, starting at that, that fall of 2016 into the 2016-17 season. Okay, so I, I want your opinion on this. So that Cavs run with LeBron and Kyrie, how special of a run was that? It's all time. You know, it is, um, you know, I think the 2016-17 team, like, they didn't win a title, and it was, like, maybe the best Cavs team we have ever seen um, in that regard, right? Like, I think that was uh, a really interesting just situation. I think you had just, like, really crazy high-level guys in, including in a way you're just, you might never see before. Like, LeBron James, like, Evan Mobley could be one of the best players in NBA history. Like, he gets there, but, like, the odds of him being LeBron are, like, because LeBron is, in my opinion, uh, the best player that has ever existed, and if not number one, he's, he's number two behind uh, behind Michael Jordan. So like, it, it's hard to hit, hit those heights, and it's just it, it was crazy and stressful and captivating and and 
crazy to follow and to read about and, and think about and, and do all that stuff about and just in a way that I think um, is absolutely just kind of crazy to, to think about retrospect. Like, like this era, by comparison, is like, it's very fun. This is like the found money season. This is like the the kind of like the, the honeymoon season in a lot of ways. If you go back to that, it was like stressful. It was, you know, like all the stuff with LeBron and, and Vlad and then like LeBron and Kyrie and like all the, all the stuff there was just very intense and very stressful and very weighty and like that that it was also like that's the price you pay to try to um win a championship and, and maximize LeBron and these things can be contentious and, and that's what they are but it was it's, it's a one of one era there will never be I think anything that can ever compare um to that I, I don't think there can ever be another era of basketball just because of for, for a ton of reasons that can ever compare to what that era was. It, it will go down, I think, is, is frankly like a, a one-on-one era. And it was, like, even just being around for the end of it and covering it for the end of it, stuff like that, like, um, a very, a very crazy thing that I do not think um, I certainly will ever be around or cover anything like that again. 2016, the Cavs come back from 3-1. Is that the best series ever, in your opinion? Where does that rank for best series ever for you? Uh, it's probably the best I've ever watched. I mean, I had a weird viewing um, experience with that series because I had so I graduated college in May of that year, and I was in I took a graduation trip with my dad and went to Norway, and I was in Norway for like June eighth to like June seventeenth or something like that. Like I was there for like eleven days. Um, and I wasn't, like, I woke up the morning that, like, Draymond had hit LeBron below the belt and, like, saw it out on Twitter. Um, I, like, I remember, like, where I was and, like, I, I, this is, like, a, a subplot of that, not a subplot, but, like, a minor note in that series. Like, Muhammad Ali died that June and LeBron had eloquently, like, you, you was just him. And I remember, like, being in the airport on my computer, like, writing, a, like, a news post about what LeBron had to say about that and, like, trying to make a social graphic and stuff. And, um, it, it was nuts. I mean, and flying from afar, watching it when I came back, um, you know, watching Game Seven was was crazy. Um, and I mean, you can go right now on YouTube. The NBA still has the last like several minutes of the game up. Um, you know, culminating in, in the block, the Kyrie shot, the Kevin Love stop, the the almost dunk on Draymond. Like that, three minutes of basketball at the end of Game Seven is the best basketball I've ever watched live. Full stop. It, it, nothing. I think we'll ever, we'll ever surpass that for me. Um, certainly, like, the, the best basketball I've seen on TV, I think I've, like, seen some of the stuff in person, um, you know, maybe a little different in how you do, but, like, that game, that, you can watch that now, it holds up. You know how it's going to turn out. You know how um, it's going to be, but it still holds up now. It's just incredible. Like, I just, you can go find it on the YouTube page. You can just, it is nuts how well that series just holds up from a tension standpoint. And to me, it is, it is probably the best series that, that has ever happened. At what point during that series were you kind of like, was there any point in the series where you're like, okay, there's no way they're going to beat the Warriors? And then were you kind of like, oh my gosh, they're actually going to do it. <laughs> like, yeah, this flipped. Yeah, yeah, I think 3-1. Um, like, most people, I just like, thought they would probably do that. I thought they were probably underdogs coming into the series. Um, but, I, I mean, you get the game, I, I kind of figure you get the game seven, like, it, anything's up in the air. Like, you get, to, I, I just, it just felt like they were going to win if you got all the way to game seven and, and things to kind of run their way. But, 
that could have just that could have just been the optimist to me. So then, how much do you think Kevin Durant changed the game in that? Because I always feel like if KD never goes to Golden State, then the Cavs might run off like two or three in a row. And maybe Kyrie never yeah. wants to leave. Like the course of NBA history just changes. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. And I think you know, um, I think the 2016-17 Cavs season, um, that team, particularly often during the four, was the best team of the Cavs era. Like I, that team had a historic year offense just was absolutely nuking people and was just frankly flat out incredible and I do not think that um, they were ever as good as they were but KD was on the team like I, I it just felt like they were like swinging up to the whole time playing the, the Warriors um, in that series you know what I mean like it was it was crazy and like I was um, I, I remember being I was there, this would have, I don't mean, I might have been game three, yeah, it would have been game three, that the, the KD shot that he hits over LeBron, the pull three, he hits late in that game. I have never seen an arena get quieter, I've never seen a more cold quality shot in person, like, I've seen, like, some LeBron game winners, like the one he hit over Jimmy Butler, when the Cavs with the Wolves, and then he jumped over at Thomas, like, I was like, come out, like, I was there for some other stuff, but, like, the KD shot over LeBron is the best shot I've ever seen in person, and it just like it's like I don't I don't know what you do with that, you know. Um, I, I think certainly like I, if you if you to put them in a Ryan Robinson and everything equal, like I would pick the 2016-17 Cavs team as the best team of that second LeBron era, and like they they weren't even really close to winning a title in that sense. And 2018, how shocked were you that team even got to the finals? It's just that that's like one of the, the first second page things of the LeBron James uh, go case, right? Like oh, I agree. Thirty-four, nine, and nine, fifty percent shooting. He he was insane, and like that team was flawed. Like they had to make these like crazy roster moves that were like sort of flawed and, and didn't totally help them. Um, you know, going forward with some of that stuff, like it was a little goofy in terms of. Um, you know, like how the team worked, like they, like, I mean, like, you know, Nance and Clarkson from those guys are like not even on the team now, you know? Um, like, they are crazy, you know, in the sense that, like, they, like, just kind of short, like, kind of just made it work with some of the teams that they had, and, like, that in itself was, like, just LeBron winning them there, and, like, then he plays game one, and, like, they almost win, and then the jail thing, like, all that stuff happens, which, like, you know, there's, there's, much better way you can go revisit that than, than like talking to me, talking about it or whatever. But like, it was just one of those crazy things that like he just kind of willed them there, and it's like they don't get like that team had no business um, getting to the finals, and yet it did because of LeBron being just that full game team. That fifty-one nine and nine game that. That was one of the five best games, in my opinion, of LeBron's career. I know there's the, the one in Detroit where he scores, like, 25 straight points. There's the Miami Heat one where he drops 46 in Boston. Uh, there's a lot of good ones, but even in a loss, that game was phenomenal. The way he tore apart Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know, like, what was going on. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think I've ever seen a, a more singular LeBron game where, like, he did everything he could, you know? Um there will probably never be another LeBron game like that. There will like that was one of those one of one just crazy performances. I mean, like the fact that they went sort of like I don't think they win that series, but the fact they almost like took a game off that Warriors game with the roster he had is 
is insane. You know, it it it, and it magnifies obviously Jared of it all and and you know the missed free throws and stuff. But like it it just remains like a it's just, it, it just one of those insane kind of things that I, I don't even know how you wrap your mind around like the, the Cavs didn't getting to where they were much space on the talent they had had retrospect. So the next morning, how are you feeling? Are you kind of like how, how like how the hell did they lose that game? <laughs> I, I yeah, I did. it's just like a fluke. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where like stuff happens and you miss the free throws and the JR thing happens and it, you know it, it's kind of over from there. So I, I think it's just one of those things. Where, like you just kind of slip at the end and it's uh, <laughs> just it, it's cliche, but you just didn't execute totally at the end. And I think that you know without like. I, I, I think I've maybe watched that game one time since just to, like after the fact just kind of revisit some of that and I don't think I've watched it in quite a while um, but I, I it just from memory it's like an execution thing you know it is just kind of not fully um, maximize the opportunity you had at the end of that game what do you think the feeling about LeBron James is in Cleveland I, I think it depends on I think it depends on different people. Like I think it depends on um, their, you know, opinions of him, of him coming and going, a, a lot of stuff. Like, like I, I think it just depends on their opinions. Like, I don't think there's like a general Cleveland opinion. I think you know, I think everyone for the most part is like grateful that he won him a title. I think people don't like him because he left and, and, and whatnot, and um, I'm not sure, but like I, I think generally, like I think he's and I kind of miss it because he won a title, but I, I think like the, the, the opinions other than that are probably a little more granular based on everyone as, as So I was talking to a friend about this. So when he retires, he has to go into the hall as a Cavalier, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think for sure. I don't think there's like a, a question. What about Kyrie? Was Ky- is Kyrie going to go into the hall as a Cav? I assume Kyrie's Kyrie's going to go in. Ky- Ky- I mean, he's going to go on as Kyrie. <laughs> Kyrie is Kyrie. Like he, I don't think he like. I, I think like there's obviously there's been some like LeBron tension. I, I think the Kyrie thing with the Cavs is like even weirder to some degree. Um, so it, it it's just that all that is just kind of weird. But the Kyrie, yeah, Kyrie, LeBron probably does in in some way, and then Kyrie's kind of just Kyrie. But it feels like that stuff is also less. It feels like the, the basketball is also just like a little more about like the, the accomplishments of the guy, and like the NFL where it's like. You know, it'll be a bigger deal if, like, Brady goes in as a Patriot or a Black or whatever. Um, so, it, I think that stuff may be, like, a little bit different. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Lastly, I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, if they found a way to keep that Cavs team together, let's say Kyrie never, for whatever reason, decides to want to trade, they're able to keep this love LeBron Kyrie thing going. During that span, Toronto won a championship. You had Milwaukee get out of there. Could could they still have won the East those years? I, I think it's possible. Um, I think certainly, you know, what happens to Kevin Love there? Can they make other changes to the roster? Um, you know, like all of that stuff would be, I think, interesting to kind of consider. You know, um, I, I think that is an open-ended question about like how they would have competed and like I, I think the biggest question is like okay like, do that roster clearly need, like if the roster that existed in the 2018 finals was LeBron's roster to play with for 2019 and 
and into the next couple of years. Like, I, I, that roster clearly wouldn't have been as good as the roster you had at the Lakers or good enough to win a title. I think that roster needed to be overhauled again, and how the Cavs would have done that um, would have been, I think, really interesting to see how that could have ha- would have happened or not. But I, I think it's possible. I think it just depends on sort of unknowable questions of, okay, they, they go into that summer. I think they kind of knew, I think everyone, they, they knew he was going at a certain point. They take home sexes. You know, if they had, if they knew he was going to, if they said, I'm standing, you know, even if it's like Kyrie still gone at that point, um, and it's like him and Love, and then like they have this other flexibility, like how they retool from there, I think would have, would have had more to do with it than, you know, um, than, than we, like we can speculate. Like it's just not, we don't know what those moves would have been or what was really on the table. Um, but if, if there was room to get another co-star in or, you know, whoever it might have been and add in some of the veteran pieces and stuff, like, and assemble sort of what he had in L.A. for that season and, you know, Ty Lue stays and everything like that because, remember, he gets fired very soon that first year after LeBron. There's, like, a lot of unknowns that are just sort of off ones. But I think, you know, LeBron, you have a chance. And I think it just would have been about the moves they would have made to kind of support him as he went forward. Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do it. And once again, I want to thank Chris Manning for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 395th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Streaming live on your computer and on your smartphone. Check out Elevation5280sports.com for all the information you need. Download the apps, put in the link, and you're good to go on the go. Elevation5280sports.com. Careful, it's tough to breathe up here.